It's time for a more in-depth look at today's news. It's time to find out who's pulling the strings. It's time for the Behind the Curtain podcast with your host, author Jeff Reynolds. Hi, I'm Jeff Reynolds, and this is episode 16 of the Behind the Curtain podcast. My first guest this week is my longtime blogging buddy, Caleb Howe. I've always liked Caleb's style of critiquing the mainstream media, a skill he's parlayed into an editing position at Mediaite. He's also a contributor at PJ Media and a former editor at Red State. Caleb and I explore the state of media, both conservative and liberal. We also talk about bias problems in big tech and social media, and we talk about the 2020 Democratic field. You can find Caleb on all the social medias under the name Caleb Howe. Caleb stuck around for a bonus segment for our Patreon patrons, in which we break down the Eric Swalwell campaign. Oh, what might have been. This segment is available exclusively at patreon.com slash behind the curtain with Jeff Reynolds. For a low monthly fee, you get lots of exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. Plus, paid subscriptions allow me the resources to produce higher quality content. Please consider subscribing today. My local guest this week is a guy who may just end up permanently changing politics as we know it in Oregon and beyond. Lauren Hutnick is a trucker who co-founded the Timber Unity Movement in Oregon. This movement grew from zero to over 40,000 members in a matter of weeks as Oregonians involved in timber, trucking, resource extraction, and agricultural industries coalesced to kill the cap-and-trade bill. Lauren talks about the huge growth of the movement, the junk science behind so-called environmental bills, his plans for his new Timber Unity organization, and how uniting Oregonians who have never before gotten involved in politics might just break the logjam of decades of radical liberal control. You can find more information at facebook.com slash groups slash Timber Unity. Don't forget to subscribe to the Behind the Curtain podcast wherever you listen to it, and please leave a positive rating. The more subscribers and the better ratings, the higher Behind the Curtain will rank on podcast services like iTunes and Google Podcasts, among many others. Stick around to the very end so you can hear the full version of I Am America, the theme song by my buddy Brian Futch. Quick note about my book. It's humbling that I continue to be in demand for speaking gigs. There's a real appetite out there for folks to learn about who's pulling the strings on the left. I will be at Clackamas Freedom and Prosperity this Tuesday, July 16th, and I'm currently planning an East Coast trip in the fall to speak at my alma mater, Connecticut College, and their college Republican club. If you know of any conservative clubs, Republican groups, Tea Party, or 912 groups, or anyone else who would get something out of following the dark money on the left, please email me at info at 5440fight.com. Search for Behind the Curtain, Inside the Network of Progressive Billionaires and Their Campaign to Undermine Democracy, in stores, or online at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or Simon & Schuster. It's available in hardback, Kindle, or Nook now. Check out whoownsthedems.com for more information. Welcome into the Behind the Curtain podcast. My name is Jeff Reynolds. I'm your host, and I'm here with a good longtime friend of mine, Caleb Howe, who now works for Mediaite. And I wanted to have Caleb on to talk about a lot of different things that uh, are going on in the media and watching what the leftist media does and how they spin things and what it's like for a conservative to work in that environment. So, Caleb, welcome into the show. I really appreciate you being here. Thanks. I uh, I thought we were going to be talking about my uh, cookie recipes, so I'm a little. Well, we can do that too. Absolutely. By the politics thing. Yeah. Well, yeah. Cookies and politics. What uh, is your favorite cookie pol- uh, cookie recipe? All of them. 
All of them, yes. Okay. So I, I'm a I'm a toll house man myself. So uh, my wife makes uh, you know about ten different kinds at uh, the holidays. They are amazing. Outstanding. Uh, so you're you're a Christmas celebrator. Yeah, I like uh, the pecan sandies at Christmas. Uh, chocolate chip any time of year. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're you're a southern guy. I'm I'm not a I'm not a pecan fan myself at all, actually. Uh, but we can still be friends. I don't know. Is that right? Can we? I, I believe so. Yeah. I don't think there's I think a pecan contract. So tell me, what what's it like to work for Mediaite as a conservative? I think it's a good fit. Um, uh, media criticism should be a major part of the conservative catalog and it has, there has to be a way for people on the right to write about the media where it isn't where every article isn't there unfair to conservatives. There has to be more to it than that. Like that was a bad interview. That person wasn't, uh, wasn't aggressive enough. That person was too aggressive. That question uh, deserved a follow up. Um, so I think there has to be a way in which a, a conservative um, point of view can be applied, but also, you know, an objective point of view. Um, I am a conservative writer. I'm, you know, I'm not like a uh, straight news reporter. I write what I think. That's the job that I have. That's what I'm employed to do. That's not what everybody's employed to do. And uh, the people who aren't supposed to be doing that but do it anyway are kind of the ones that we talk about a lot. Yeah, you know, that that's an interesting point. A couple of interesting points there. One is, you know, just <clears throat> uh, getting into the mainstream side of media. You know, media isn't necessarily mainstream, but it's a it's a media uh, criticism sort of an outlet. And, um, you know, the, the idea of conservatives being allowed into something like that is, is kind of unique. I think that the vision that Dan Abrams has for media is uh it's not exactly matched anywhere else. Most places they start from the premise of ideology and extend that to general criticism. This starts from the idea of two things, which is general criticism of media, as well as simply uh, cataloging major events that take place that people who have a job all day can't catch, that they can't watch, that they can't see, because people, you know, they let things slip in interviews, um, politicians do. It's just an, it's another layer of accountability for people that are in power or people that have a lot of influence. When there's someone else watching besides the person conducting the interview, because you know that person can miss things in the moment, and they have prepared questions. They're trying to meet how much time they have for the segment. They've got to hit these commercial breaks. They may not hear or may not quite catch a small thing that, and it, it'll just slip through, and then. You know, we're there to catch it and say, by the way, so-and-so said this today on MSNBC. And what I like to do especially is to add a little bit of explanation of why it matters, why why you should notice that this person said that. I think a good example of that uh, from something that I wrote, I mean, there's a lot of great examples of that, but for an okay example of that, something that I wrote uh, just yesterday about um, Rashida Tlaib, uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, I believe that's right. Um, she was on uh, um, this week. 
the TV show this week. Mm-hmm. She was being interviewed, and she, toward the end of it, um, after talking a lot about other subjects that got more press, they asked her about this tiff between Nancy Pelosi and the you know the four, the four progressive freshman Democrats who sort of hold sway herself and Ilhan Omar and. Uh, AOC, they they sort of hold sway over the progressive argument, especially in social media. And I don't know if everybody listening knows this, but in the New York Times over the weekend, Nancy Pelosi kind of threw some shade their way. She was suggesting that having a big Twitter following doesn't mean you're influential and and generally (laughs) minimizing their impact. Um, So she swiped at them. The response, on the other hand, was vicious. it, it's pretty funny, by the way, that the old lady is uh, going after them uh, with that newfangled Twitter thing that they've got. You know, <laughs> I know it, it really is just ironic. Uh, exactly what they say about her, you know, right? right. He's like, ah, Twitter. Is, <laughs> but she doesn't really say it's a fad. But yeah, if you read the article, I said uh, I pointed out that she basically suggested that Pelosi is kind of racist. You know, she's standing idly by. Well. <laughs> Brown and dark-skinned children are being dehumanized, and uh, it, it was it was quietly vicious. It was quietly vicious. There, there's only so much that Martha Raddatz, who is, by the way, the best person on TV to give an interview, Martha Raddatz, um, she there's only so much she can do to push on a particular topic, and then they have to move on. Right. Television, but if you read between the lines, if you read the things that that. Um, the congresswoman said it's clear it was clear what her intent was that nancy pelosi is old and white and happy to work with trump and the new fresh democrats are none of those things the the democrats really seem to be on this this kind of crazy train of of um really outlandish accusations Uh, i'll give you an example the the local democratic party group here in portland put out a a post just today on facebook saying that we're at like there's 10 stages of genocide and we're at uh, stage eight right now against brown people you know it's it's that kind of stuff that is really i mean it's 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 just outlandish. I, I don't know how people can't uh, can't see through that and say, "Well, that's a little bit far fetched." Right? Or is it even opportunistic? Are they attempting to manipulate people's emotions? If it were on the right, they would call it fear mongering. You know, it, it, it are they fundraising off it? Um, but yeah, it, you know, it it's true that the party broadly speaking, does seem to be lurching in that direction. It does seem that way, particularly when you, you know, watch what makes news. But I do think Pelosi has a point that there is an amplification effect because the young people are using the Twitter. Their young people are using the Facebook. You know, they're using the whatever app it is that they've got going right now. The young folk are doing that. <laughs> the snap face on their smart berries. <laughs> they're snap, they're, that's right. They're snap berries. <laughs> And uh, so there, there is an application effect for people like um, Ocasio-Cortez because it is the new thing. So it catches the attention of old media, sort of way for them to be part of what's new. And it catches the attention of the loudest people. The loudest people are the ones who are on social media. The people that have the biggest voices are the people that have the biggest voices on social media. That's why celebrities have even more cachet now than they did 20 years ago and they already had too much that's why 
um, Trump is able to manipulate the news cycle so easily because he has uh, mastered using social media in that way. And so this, there is no question that to an extent, the influence of the, the far left new people is inflated by the method that they use to spread their message. So where do you stand on the idea of, of regulating the social media? Uh, there's been a lot of talk on the right about uh, conservative voices being uh, squashed or censored or uh, shadow banned. Uh, what's, what's the solution? To which thing? That's a bunch of different things. I, I don't. Uh, I, I don't favor instituting some kind of government regulatory system to monitor Twitter and Facebook. I think that's crazy. I don't like uh, Elizabeth Warren's plan. Let's just go in and break up all the tech companies. It seems rash. The question of whether or not there's bias in the way that they do things is some is an ongoing question. Is based on methodology. Is it based on the employees who they are employed? Is it a failure of documentation? Which thing is it that they're getting wrong? Is it the algorithm? Is it a is it a deliberate human manipulated in the moment action that happens one at a time? One thing that would answer a lot of those questions is transparency from places like Twitter and Facebook who attempt to protect that information based on the nebulous idea that it's uh, you know that it's corporate espionage and they're trying to protect trade secrets when the converse argument is and one they would probably agree with is that they're they're almost impossible to compete with in the first place i mean that's the argument that conservatives are making and that elizabeth warren is making when they make the antitrust case and there is a basis for that there's a basis in reality that they are because of the nature of the medium because it exists based on who adopts it, and everyone, including President Trump and every famous person in the world, has adopted these things. It's very difficult to communicate. You're not going to get them to come, you know, sign up for a new app and start communicating that way. Yeah, you know, uh, I guess the argument comes down to whether they're um, a content uh, regulator or uh, you know just a forum, and you could make the argument. It, well, that- it comes down to that eventually. Yeah. But first, you have to ask the question of of what's happening currently. I don't think anybody – a lot of people seem to be trying to find a solution when they haven't quite identified the problem yet. Fair enough. We don't yeah. Quite, yeah. You ahead. have to figure out where it's happening in the pipeline, where it's happening, why, and how. It's easy to say it's because they're biased and filled with liberals, and that may be – I mean that's obviously true of the companies, but that may be part of the reason why it turns out that way in practice. But there could be a number of reasons why, technological reasons, and again, simple methodology you know you have to put things down and have people follow procedure maybe they're not doing that right so um as large and as uh, uh universally used as these outlets are what role does congress have in in at least making an inquiry saying where is the problem uh, it, should we trust congress to do that? <laughs> i think you're asking a question that would be difficult for the supreme court to decide if it were brought before them as a case the question of uh, what is their responsibility, whether it is simply a bulletin board upon which people place their views, or is it a regulated marketplace where they should allow certain vendors in and other vendors to not enter? Is it a private business or a public space? These are all questions that have to be answered 
you know, legally. These have, these have to be answered legally, not philosophically, because philosophically there is no answer to that question. They're both and all. They're all of those things. So the question comes down to where, where does it stand with regard to our government? Where does it stand with regard to the Constitution? Is it a violation of civil liberties? Is it a violation of the of, of free enterprise? What precisely is the relationship between these groups and the law? Yeah, that's a really good point because uh, it, eventually it's going to just come down to a, a class action lawsuit. and uh, It will. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't see any other way out of it because uh, no. they seem to be doubling down and tripling down and, and continuing even more. I mean, you know, they, well, uh, I, I don't know if you know this, I wrote a book and uh, they, uh, of course. and I, um, I talked about the, the uh, memo from David Brock, the uh, uh, plan to kick Donald Trump's ass. Uh, our, our friend uh, Lachlan uh, Marquet uh, uh, discovered that at their media matters retreat. Right. So, yes. um, they have they have access to all of the raw data from Facebook and, and Twitter, and we know that they are uh, they want to they want to reverse all of the what they saw as problems in the 2016 election, right? Which was uh, manipulation right. and and uh, these uh, Macedonian teenagers and these Russian bots and all that stuff. But uh, I, I think they're taking that and and using it as license to say. Well, all of this stuff on the right is the same thing, you know, and that's 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 troubling. Yeah, I mean, the uh, you know I, that stuff that was released that came out in a number of articles, uh, especially the philosophical points of view of the people in charge at at Facebook and at Google. Do you remember that they had the video? Do I, I'm trying to remember who that was. Was it uh, Breitbart or somebody published? And then, of course, it went everywhere. But it was the it was right after the election. Yeah. And they had the CEO and then the vice president and then the president all taking turns up on the stage trying to basically grief counsel their employees. Have you seen that? Yes, I have. Yeah, yeah. It's it's very disturbing. I mean, that's crazy, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's disturbing. Well, I've yeah, talked to right. people in the industry too who say that uh, the the upper echelons of management at Facebook. They're, they have no scruples when it comes to using your private data and how they're going to uh, leverage the data that you share with Facebook and all that stuff. And, you know, it's, it's some really disturbing stuff. So it wouldn't surprise me at all that they also have this view that, hey, we're, we're the guys in charge and, and you got, you're out of luck. That is particularly Mark Zuckerberg's point of view. Uh, his own former employees, disgruntled though they may be, uh, including people high up in the company talk about his, his attitude is exactly that about everything. I know best. I know what people should and shouldn't do and shouldn't, shouldn't see within the company and externally. He's just got that, that very much that God complex. Yeah. That's, that's frightening because I mean, you know, Hey, he made $30 billion. So I guess uh, everybody should believe the way he does. Right. Right. <laughs> so, so, um, getting oh, you know, what's funny though, is that the, the, from the that Democrats think the exact opposite, the exact opposite. They think Facebook is pushed around by the right, acquiesces to everything that conservatives want. Well, Russia, they Russia, Russia, Russia Republicans. Right? I mean, no, but it's more than that. It's more than just Russia. They think that. I mean, you you take a average media matters employee. They think that about MSNBC. They think that these corporations are being pushed around by the right and that they're expressing right-wing ideology. 
Yeah, you know, I've I've seen that on the local level. I've seen that on the national level. Uh, you see it a lot, and it's really uh, it, it's really astonishing to kind of sit back and watch this sometimes where uh, the people on the left and the people on the right believe completely different things and they believe they're the only ones that have any access to facts and the truth. And we've become so much more uh, separated in that sense that my beliefs are my beliefs and that's it. And, and uh, the other person who believes the other thing is completely wrong. It, it's, it's frightening. Well, I think it's because uh, part of the reason is because broadly speaking, uh, societally, we have accepted the same premise on both sides of the aisle, which is that, that everyone is out to get us. Everyone is out to get us. Everyone is out to get my point of view, my lifestyle, my identity. Someone is out to get it. And they have power that I don't have, and they're wielding it against me. That's what people believe. And so they think that their only recourse is to try and prevent the, quote, fake news that is distorting reality to make people not see the assault on my identity, on my demographic, on my political beliefs. It's something that we've all accepted as a overall premise in society that that they're out to get us. It's a gigantic paranoid society. You know, and uh, the most recent example of that was right here in Portland last weekend when Andy No, the reporter, got milkshaked and uh, ended up in the hospital with a brain bleed, and the media reported it as right-wing violence, you know, and, and the, the Antifa folks came out and said that he provoked everybody into that confrontation, which was completely untrue. He was just walking along with his cell phone camera on, you know. So, Yeah, you know, I never I – ne- I didn't see any media that said – that it was right-wing violence. I did not see that. What I saw was, uh, uh, you know, people soft-pedal these stories. One of the great tricks of the press is to simply barely cover something. Uh, they make it a non-story by making it a non-story. Yeah, but throwing it on page 36. That's right. They soft-pedal things. So I definitely saw a lot of that. Um, but I know Brian Stelter on CNN covered it, and he was pretty unequivocal in saying that he – he condemned people that were bringing up uh, Andy knows prior instances of filming them and people that were bringing up whether or not he was an ideologue. He was condemning, even mentioning it in the story because he said it's, it, it's irrelevant to whether or not what happened to him was the right thing to happen. And, and so I, you got to give him credit for that. Yeah, absolutely. Good for him. Cause that's, that's not his normal MO. I think uh, Stelter has a very stilted M.O. It's, it starts and stops. It starts and stops. But in general, uh, I find he's less willing to challenge a point of view than simply give it airtime. Yeah, no, that's that's right. Uh, it, it, it's it's um, uh, coverage bias, right? It's it's um, uh, whether or not you're going to talk about the story at all, and that's that's been going on for a long time in the mainstream media. Oh, no, I meant um, that that he's he's more interested in making sure that someone appears on a show than he is on asking them a question once they're there. I think <laughs> is what I you know what I'm saying. Gotcha. I don't want to say ratings driven, but I do notice a lot of the shows they they you know just getting the name into the promo 
they think they've done their job now. Right, like, it's well, clickbait. I got his name in the promos, and now I'm going to have viewers. Yeah, it's clickbait. It's it's the right. cable v- television version of that. And and that brings me back to a point you were making earlier about uh, uh, Martha Raddatz and uh, uh, Rashida Tlaib. Um, you're talking about how she just kind of missed this point that uh, Tlaib made at the end of the interview, and, and it's it's hard to do that in a cable news environment, right? Because you have, what, three and a half minutes to do a quick hit, and that's it's it. It's so quick, yeah. 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 And now, this was for uh, for the Sunday morning show on CBS. So it was the broadcast show, and then, you know, re-airs later on the various cable networks. And she, um, she covered a lot of ground, I would say. It was a, it was a longer... Of the interviews in the show, it was the longer one. Yeah. So, yeah, the sun- Sunday shows are a little bit uh, more in depth. So that's that's at least helpful. But yeah, I, it, sometimes the, the, I mean, there's just the constraint of time. You just simply can't follow up on every. I, I notice people are like, I, I will say you should have followed up on this. The worst person for follow up is Chuck Todd. Oh but yeah. I will see people say about other interviewers. Uh, I'm trying to think of someone who does interviews. Anderson Cooper, Jake Tapper, people like that that they will cite as bias. He didn't follow up on that. And I will look and I'll be like, okay, but they were up against a commercial break. He did leave two and a half seconds later. (laughs) You have to have some semblance of understanding to offer to people. That's part of our problem when we argue about politics is that you can have a good reason for doing something. Even if you're the bad guy, you can't have a good reason. Well, I had to eat because I was hungry. That's why I ate, not because I wanted to, you know, appropriate your culture. There, there are sometimes, just as, as uh, Freud would say, sometimes a cigar is just a smoke. Sure. No, I, I get that. And uh, I, I, I think that that's uh, – uh, sometimes we miss the mark when we, we criticize the mainstream media. My, my larger criticism of, the, of cable news in particular is that, uh, you know, for all of this talk about how we have, have a 24-hour news cycle and we have to fill the, the cable airwaves with as much information as we can, we, we often miss the mark on that. And it, it's all about, uh, you know, sort of emotional manipulation and clickbait and, and not going going in depth and not un- understanding the nuance of what's being said, or, or even, you know, if it's not nuance, if it's, you know, somebody hitting them over the head, uh, you know, following up in as much detail as what's being said requires. Right. Well, it's also the, um, it's so performative now. It's such a performance that they put on. It is. And we all encourage, I mean, they, they put these anchors Every CNN anchor in the world has been a guest on the late night talk show. Why? <laughs> yeah. Why are they on there? Why are they celebrities? celebrities? They're, they're, they're supposed to be journalists. Right. Uh, and not just why are they celebrities like, oh, who cares about them? But they shouldn't be. They should avoid that. They should choose. They should say, no, I won't be on your late night talk show. That's not appropriate. That ought to be their response. They, they shouldn't allow themselves to become that because what happens is you have uh, this is particularly the case on CNN who is less biased than MSNBC but has a much bigger problem with performance and that is that they have this concept of themselves that they think other people have of the noble press sticking up for the little guy the Jimmy Johnson thing for the press to, right they 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 think that they are heroes and you can't you can't plan you can't plan your world your world around 
people thinking that you did something great or important. You have to plan your world around doing the correct thing at the time when it's supposed to be correct. You have to say things that are true. You have to say things that are accurate. You have to, you, you don't have an obligation to the truth in the sense of capital T, capital T, capital the capital truth, this concept, this universal concept of truthfulness to history of their responsibility to being on the right side of history. They ha they shouldn't have that idea. What they have a responsibility when it comes to the truth and honesty is, is the thing I'm saying factual? Am I allowing my point of view to alter that fact? Because it doesn't mean you can't be biased. It doesn't even mean you can't express a biased point of view. But you have to make sure that you're not allowing that to change a fact, to change something that is true into something false. Now, you see that all the time. And it's like they want to be the next Woodward and Bernstein, right? They, they, they want to be the guys that are the, the heroes, the sort of a, a mix between that and Mr. Smith goes to Washington. They, they have all these stars in their eyes. And, and you see this, but it's, it's everywhere, though. You see this on ESPN, too. You know, it, it, That's right. these people are celebrities and, and they're they're not journalists. And even if it's even if it's talk radio, that's a different thing entirely than what these people are. You know, it's, it's just a bastardization of the process. Right. Well, they want to be they want to be celebrities to other celebrities. They want <laughs> other celebrities to come up to them and go, oh, my God, I saw you today. You were amazing. You really told him off. You really gave it to him. And they chase that. I mean, can anyone doubt what Jim Acosta is chasing? It isn't a fact or an answer to a question. Jim Acosta is chasing the vision of Jim Acosta that he has. In <laughs> That's what he's chasing. He's chasing the dragon, right? As a heroin addict might. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, that's that's always been my biggest problem with watching the news and watching uh, cable news. I don't even watch Fox because I don't like the, the emotional manipulation. I don't like the, oh my God, this is so incredible. This is happening right now and you have to understand it. Uh, you know, uh, I'll digest it on my own terms. Uh, I don't I don't like the way that they come at you and and make it the most urgent thing that ever happened, you know? I do know. I, I watch uh, cable news for a living. <laughs> so I watch all three networks seven days a week. And So we don't have you to. You can kind of put them into three different categories. So there's CNN. It's performance land. They're putting on a show, and they are the stars of it. And they want you to admire and look up to them. There's MSNBC ideologues, biased, whether it's in the news division or the opinion division, as if there's any difference at the network. That is what they are there for. They are there to see the progressive view become reality. It's not even hidden. I, I don't know why anybody argues that they put it in their commercials. Um, then there's Fox News, which does have that ideology part, and they do have the performance part, in both cases less than the two other networks. But what they have the most and the worst is what you're calling emotional manipulation. And that is that they spend most of their news day dedicated to stories that are going to make you feel a certain way, as opposed to stories that are going to tell you something you need to know. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And that's, uh, again, the reason that I really just eschew the whole scene, but um, we got to get our news from somewhere. So uh, what do you say to the folks who uh, would say that uh, Fox News ha having the greatest 
ratings are, are, you know, killing everybody else in the ratings game. That's sort of a, a reflection of the country. Is, is that an accurate statement or an accurate uh, it's a, it's a reflection of the psychological what's that yeah just a, is it a, an accurate reflection of the true political identity of the country i think it's a reflection of the psychology of the human being people want to see stories that tell them about their feelings not stories that tell them about what they know or what they don't want to know and fox news plays to that more than any of the other networks so it is a natural fit for both conservatives and liberals to watch a show that they know is going to fill them with emotional responses. It's, you know, the, that's the, where the treat is at the end of the minute. <laughs> it's on Fox news. Yeah. No. So I think that's a natural reflection as far as being able to determine the ideological bent of the country uh, as a majority point, you know, 51% this 49% that I think that there couldn't be a worse measuring tool than cable news ratings. Elaborate on that. Why do you say that? Well, it's a small demographic in the first place. People that, well, I mean, these are small numbers. Their top ratings don't even crack popular television shows. And by popular television shows, I'm talking about reruns. And we're not even talking about network shows or streaming. They just aren't that watched. And while they are influential, and that's what makes them matter and part of the political discussion, and it's why politicians make sure to go on the cable networks. It doesn't speak to the demographic truth of the United States. They're reaching voters, people who are politically engaged, and that is important because those people are the most likely to take part in the political process. That doesn't speak to the people who are less likely to take part in the political process. Your average person who doesn't vote, uh, a, a person who is at home does not watch or listen to or read about politics. Those people are everywhere. And who watches cable news and where those ratings go doesn't say anything about those folks. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. It's uh, obvious that uh, people spend, most people spend much more of their time in entertainment venues than on the news cycle. So uh, not even close. Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. All right. Well, uh, Caleb Howe, thanks so much for being with me on the uh, Behind the Curtain podcast here. Um, we're going to wrap up our free segment here. But if you want to hear more about uh, what Caleb has to say, switch on over to our Patreon account and uh, we, we will have a bonus segment over there. And in that bonus segment, we're going to talk about uh, how, how Caleb got into this whole thing with Mediaite and uh, how he built his career on observing the news and, and uh, being a critic of the cable news and all of the news. And uh, we'll also uh, maybe delve into the uh, lasting legacy of the Eric Swalwell uh, presidential run. So Plus pie, plus what our favorite pie is. There you go. All right. Well, thanks again, Caleb. I really appreciate you being on. And um, again, stick, Thank you. stick around for the uh, Patreon segment. If you like this podcast, the best way you can support it is by leaving a rating and subscribing. And don't forget to buy my book, Behind the Curtain, Inside the Network of Progressive Billionaires and Their Campaign to Undermine Democracy. Now it's on to the Oregon story of the week with Lauren Hutnick of Timber Unity. Please excuse the choppy audio. He spoke with me via phone while he was driving his log truck down a mountain. Let's talk about how this whole thing started. I mean, it just kind of overnight exploded, didn't it? It was uh, uh, the cap-and-trade bill that was in front of uh, the uh, Senate, 
and uh, we had a um, the senators walk out uh, to deny quorum so that a vote would not be taken. And uh, I talked to Kim Thatcher last week, and she mentioned that. Uh, and we heard this a lot that if they had just taken the emergency clause off of the bill, they all would have come back, right? So it's not it's not just about cap and trade, but it's also about tyranny of the majority, right? Yes, it is. It is. And you know, with what went on through timber unity, um, you know, at the second rally, I was standing there and I was talking to. Uh, um, Herman Ber- uh, Berserker and I believe Kim Thatcher was the air shot and I told him, I said, look, if they don't back down off this or give us what we need to remedy 2020 and 2007, um, I'll come back and I'll fill the great staircase on left and right and the men's and and the floor and, and said, I have promised you that will happen and Apparently there was enough people out there at the Capitol that we could have done that very easily. Yeah, I don't, I don't doubt it. I, my personal estimate on that second rally was that about, uh, it was, I think I heard 600 trucks, and then uh, there were about 3,000 people there by my count. So uh, it was a pretty big rally. It was. Yeah, it uh, really, really uh, shows the power of this uh, of this movement and uh, the the group. Uh, gained 40 some thousand members overnight basically <laughs> so it's there's there's a real untapped energy there in Oregon that could could be transformative uh it, because people are for too long have have been frustrated by not being listened to by Salem well that is very true and i think what's happened here is, is you know the, the, the people are looking for a platform to work from, and they're looking for a leader. Um, and they feel that the politicians, and I'm not knocking all the politicians, they're just feeling that they're not being heard. They're only being, the only ones that are being heard are Portland, Salem, and Eugene. And what Portland wants, Portland gets. And I think what has happened is that it finally came to a head where everybody was upset about, you know, all these bills that we had that were crammed down our throat. We had the 2A bills, the vaccine bills, we had the, the business tax bill, then we had the cap and trade, and then the, and then the, the emission bills, and then all the other, you know, little minion bills. They, they just got to a point where they said, we've had enough, it's time. Yeah. And with the Timber Unity Group, um, it gave them a platform to a step up on that ladder to push themselves to make Salem realize um, we the people are those that put you there. We expect you to represent us, and you're not doing a good job at it. Yeah, you know that's that's really the point is that uh, we're their bosses, not the other way around. Uh, they and that's how they act is you know they they want to shove all this stuff down our throats, whether it's the forced vaccination bill or the uh, cap and trade or stealing our kicker, uh, with all of which have emergency clauses, which makes it virtually impossible 
to get uh, a referral of this new law to the ballot so that the people can vote on it themselves. And that's that's really what's going, is that they don't trust the people to vote <laughs> the way they want them to. Uh, and, and so they, uh, I mean, it's an obvious ploy because they know they're going to lose at the ballot. So uh, this idea that uh, they're going to pass these laws without any repercussions, without any uh, responsibility is, is you know, it, it's just insulting. Uh-huh. Yeah. So. And that's, what they, that's where they've had this mentality is they can do whatever they damn well want. And, you know, and that, there's where it lays is, and I've always said this, that we're always us, the people out here, um, we're worried about making sure the house payments paid, the insurance is paid, the wife has her 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 uh, check for the week, makes sure groceries are put in the car, cell phones are turned on, you know, and the household bills. And Salem and Sacramento and uh, Olympia, they just do as they want because they know no one's looking at them, no one's watching them. Yep. No, that's right. That's exactly right. So let's talk real quick about the bills that uh, were uh, the catalyst behind the timber unity movement. Uh, uh, there were two bills, uh, two main bills, but a lot of you know, like you said, there, like you said, there were a lot of smaller bills as well. But uh, the two main ones were the um, cap and trade bill, House Bill 2020, uh, and then the and then the um, uh, emissions bill, House Bill 2007 which would have put real big restrictions on diesel vehicles in the state of Oregon. Talk about that talk about that one for just a moment. Uh the uh, House Bill 2007. What how would that have affected industry in Oregon? 2007 was a spawn from the California Air Resource Board and that's AB32 where I I actually hailed from that state and I actually fought that those bills for many years, uh, seven or eight years, and um, it basically would limit everybody in the state of Oregon, as it did in California, to buy a new truck to meet a standard that is built upon junk science. Uh, Um, Explain the junk science part of it. Oh, okay, junk science. Um, we have to you know, go back to an educational. Um, in uh, 2000, or excuse me, actually, I think in 98, Mary Nichols was in, at, in the federal government uh, at the end of the Clinton administration with the EPA, and she actually got diesel put on the carcinogen list of toxins. Oh, my gosh. Yes, she did. <laughs> and she also... If you remember the guy named Beal, she hired a guy named Beal, and yeah, John Beal. Uh, he, 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 yeah. yeah, John Beal. He's actually in my book. He's uh, one chapter in the book that I just wrote behind the curtain. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and I believe it was uh, Secretary McCarthy that was actually Secretary then. I may be mistaken, but I believe it was Secretary McCarthy, and she and Nichols hired Beal. To be a part-time consultant, and alongside, he only could work part-time for the EPA because he was working part-time for the CIA. Well, he says he was. 
Yes, he says he was. Yeah, he... He was the one that actually came up with 2.5 particular matter. Yes, right. Come to find out, Beal had no credentials at all. Yeah, in fact, uh, they, uh, they they relied on uh, science from the 70s that couldn't be recreated, and the data set was lost. So it was it was all I mean it was all made up basically. Pretty much, pretty much. And it, it's kind of funny that they only went back to the 70s. Um, you know, I mean, you go back even further, you know, you really got to start looking at their science and. You know, data and, you know, they can't go back further than that. They just choose not to. Yeah. So now we come to the 2000s, 2002, I believe it was. Mary Nichols was appointed to the California Air Resource Board under Pete Wilson. Uh, Now, keep in mind, Pete Wilson also was was recalled and replaced with. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Right, right. Well, Mary Nichols was placed in the head uh, chair of the California Air Resource Board, and Mary Nichols got AB32 to start being written out, and she hired uh, this guy named Hiran Tran. And Hiran Tran, uh, he was contracted to do a report, and he did this report, basically said that all the pieces Exhaust is bad. It's terrible. It's killing people. You know, here's my data. You know, and he's taking the geological area from the rust belt and using California's air and slamming it into it. basing this uh, punitive, restrictive bill on 
uh, on diesel vehicles based on faulty or missing or uh, junk science uh, that has been completely manufactured. Uh, for and, and and will have no no effect on the environment, by the way, but will have a massive effect on uh, on owner operators like yourself, right? You, uh, if your if your truck is uh, what is it uh, older than two thousand seven, is it that uh, you'd have to replace it completely? Um, let me refresh my memory. Yeah, older than two thousand seven because two thousand seven truck beats two thousand and ten emissions and. And with the tireless work of uh, Representative Shelley Davis. Yes, um, Shelley Bossard Davis, who's awesome. Yes. Yeah. She is. Um, she got it restricted down to the Tri County area, Washington, Monmouth County, and uh, Clackamas County. Right. So I just so happen to live in Clackamas County, so I'm on the hook. Oh boy. She did get. The way the language was written, and I'm a little iffy on the one, she and everybody has told me that logging is exempt, farming is exempt. I, they have verbally said that construction is exempt, but I don't find the word, there's verbiage in there that gives you uh, construction being exempt. Well, you know, I've got a, I've got a good friend who uh, owns a very small, like just a couple of horses on this little farm, and she does. Uh, she and her daughter do uh, show horses, you know, uh, rodeo horses. And uh, it would have affected her uh, before those changes that were made and those amendments that were made. But she was like, you know, she drives like a 2004 uh, Ford pickup or something, you know, that uh, hauls her horse trailer around. And that would have forced her, uh, you know, a new diesel that can haul a, a horse trailer is probably a $50,000 expense uh, for, a sing for a single mom. That's ridiculous. Yeah. And, but uh, pickups were exempt from... 2007. Right. Well, in the amendments, but the original bill would have killed her. Yeah. And and they they want to shove this all down our throats without without a vote of the people, without uh, allowing it to be referred to the ballot. And that's that's to me that's tyranny, and that's what was really troubling about this entire session, right? Yes, it was. And you're exactly right. You know, all these bills that they crammed down our throat. You know, I mean, they were. You know, Kate Brown and, and all these uh, representatives and senators, you know, to take away our Bill of Rights and uh, our Second Amendment, you know, we're no different than what Russia and some of these communist places were back in the, you know, the 70s and 80s that we... Uh, or China now, you know? Yeah, yeah. exactly, you know. You cannot rule with an iron fist, and I think that's where everybody's gotten fed up with this attitude of iron fist. And you know, prime example, you know, Kate Brown said, "Well, I'll just put her under an executive order." <laughs> I don't think you know, and a lot of people they're just going, "Oh, she's going to shove it down our throats anyway," and they don't realize that there's certain legalities for her even trying to put an executive order in, which I don't believe she has that privilege. Yeah, I don't believe so either. However, uh, when it gets uh, inevitably winds up in court, who's been appointing the judges for the last 30 years, right? It's, it's the same people that are in power now. So it's it's 
it's going to be a long time before that gets unwound in in the legal system, and it'll probably have to go to federal court. So, um, so it's it, it's a nightmare, you know. I mean, it, it's an absolute nightmare, which is why let's let's go back to uh, the timber unity movement. I mean, the 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 movement itself is just inspiring because uh, I I saw you speak at the executive club meeting last Wednesday uh, with Senator Thompson. And I think it was uh, Senator Thompson who said that uh, had it not been for the Timber Unity rally on Thursday, uh, they probably would have returned to Salem on Wednesday, uh, giving them almost a full week to finish up all the bills and get everything rammed through uh, that the Democrats wanted. So uh, it, it was a direct result of the Timber Unity movement that uh, we were able to block as many bills as we were. Well, and that's it. You know, there was where you have it. You know, um, the, the, the role of the Iron Fist and, you know, with these senators walking out, you know, they felt, you know, rural Oregon felt that, you know, maybe we got something here. And it was an exchange of the most elegant power between people, between the, the, the Republican senators and the Timber Unity uh, movement, you know, there was an exchange of that power between the two. I really like that phrase, the, the, elegant, the elegant power between the two uh, groups. That's, that's a really cool idea that, uh, you know, we the people actually gave them the strength, gave them the wind in their sails to be bold and to take action when uh, the natural reaction is to, it, it, we've seen it for decades with the Republicans not in power, uh, they they refuse to stick their neck, necks out. Uh, uh, Kim Thatcher and I talked about this last week. It's a, it's a risk aversion, you know, they, they, they just, they're too afraid to take bold action because they fear the consequences. And we heard from uh, uh, Herman Bartschiger, uh, at the executive club uh, via phone that uh, they they threatened to pull, or no, I, I guess it was Thompson that said this, that they, they threatened to pull, or, or they, they bribed Bartschiger with something like $200 million of pet projects in his district uh, <laughs> to be able to, to uh, get him to call off the walkout. And he said, not only no, but hell no. <laughs> Yeah. You know, I, I looked at uh, Senator Hurd, Senator Thatcher, uh, Senator Hurd, uh, 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 and I just saw the twinkle. Yeah. In their eyes, like, God, this is you know, we might as well just hook them up to a guy, uh, to a, uh, a, a 220 plug, and just them <laughs> up and gave them a, a charge. Hey, these are who we. Yeah. These are the people we're fighting for. That's right. The Democrats, all but one, um, they don't care. Oh, certainly not. But it's not just that they don't care. They they actually care very much about their power, which is why they were bullying and cowing those uh, Republican senators until they finally stood up and said enough is enough. And with with yeah. the timber unity movement at their back, uh, they couldn't be stopped. You know, and it, it, it's it's awe inspiring to see that a supermajority of tyrants was actually shut down by a movement of the people. 
Because at the end of the day, they are supposed to represent us, not government, right? It's they, they don't they don't uh, wield the power of government over the people. They they're supposed to wield the power of the people over the government. Exactly, and they they're there to represent us, and they're there to be our servants, not the other way around. That's exactly right. So, all right. So you talk about 2020, and we already heard several of the Democratic senators say that they were surprised that the deal was made to kill a couple of the, you know, the gun bill and the forced vaccination bill and the um, and uh, cap and trade. And they're definitely going to be bringing it back in a short session next year. But that's also an election year, which is kind of a uh, that's a that's a pivotal moment for them. That uh, uh, they're stuck between a rock and a hard place. They're trying to pass these bills because they uh they made that's what they've been running on right and if they can't pass the bills then they look completely ineffective and and weak but at the same time these bills are deeply unpopular with most Oregonians so either way there are going to be electoral consequences in November 2020 for the the Democrats that are pushing this radical agenda so that all being said uh, I, I know you've got a new organization that you're putting together, right? Uh, what? Uh, tell me yeah, about the the C4 that you guys are uh, working on. It, 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 we are using um, Timber Unity. We are incorporated under uh, 501C4. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm putting my uh, board together. Um, the, the board is of people of different regions and different, um, mainly. Uh, business owners or a uh, or pillars of a group, um, and what we're trying to do is at the end of the day we need to get people out there to vote. Um, the other part of this is we need to educate the people on these initiatives. We need to sit down and. Uh, town hall meetings and say, hey, look, this is what's coming down, but we need to pay attention here, here, and here, and here. Um, and and, and, and it's, it's just not that, but uh, not to just bring the trucking industry together, but to bring the vaccine moms, the forced vaccine moms, in on us, and bring the 2A guys in on us, bring uh, the small businesses that are going to get nailed to the, the taxes, back to a table to be a unified group of one, and then just not that, to like, try to get rule um, Oregon to finally break down and say, hey, one vote counts because if I'm doing it, he's doing it, he's doing it, he's doing it. By the time now we have five votes because if you take 
rural Oregon, we outpopulate uh, Portland, Eugene, and uh, Salem. The mentality of what Portland wants, Portland gets, ends when this group was uh, founded. Well, and and I think you're right. I think that if we can bring it all together and and be a force for positive change, there's, there's nothing that can stop us, even even Portland. So, I think that's that's a really important point. You're also uh, my understanding is you're trying to take this uh, 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 national as well, right? And set up uh, in yeah. different states. Yes, um, <clears throat> you know a lot, of, and, and it started in the beginning. A lot of people have come to me and said, "Hey, if Oregon falls to this, we know Washington's going to fall right behind you." I said, yes, you're right. Yep. So we have to deal with the Pacific Northwest. But I've also been contacted by Georgia, Texas, um, Louisiana, uh, Nebraska, Maine, uh, New York, on trying to put this together so it is becoming a national movement. Yeah, even uh, Washington uh, rejected a cap-and-trade bill at the polls last year, which is one of the reasons why the... the, um, uh, Democrats didn't want to uh, let it get referred to the ballot because they know that it's going to uh, fail just as bad as it did in Washington. But that's that's really impressive. I didn't realize that you'd been hearing from folks in that many states. Yes. No. No. I mean, heck, we we were. Why? I, I had to go through a translator that knew how to speak French, and the yellow yellow vest. We got a thumbs up from the yellow vest. Oh my God! That's amazing. That's how. That's how big this thing got. I have not heard from one one of my friends in a long time that moved back to Germany, and I am getting a phone call from her on Facebook going, they're talking about you. What are you doing on the news? What are you doing on the news? Why? And I'm going, well, you know, you know me, i got to put my foot in my mouth. Like, oh. That's awesome. That's um, awesome. I heard, I heard from Australia. Wow. Uh, a real good friend of mine in Australia, Cameron. He says, Lauren, they're talking about you. That's I mean, amazing. This, this is why I want to keep this movement going. And I, it, it just can't be a, a shot in the dark. And the, the, the Democratic Party here in Oregon is hoping to God that this was just a one-time deal and they don't have to deal with it again. Yep. I don't want it. <laughs> I mean, I'm willing to put my life out there because I have been threatened six times with bodily injury that to drop this initiative, and I'm not going to do it. Wow. Wow. Uh, so you've actually received threats over this? Yeah. I've had four threats be killed. Holy cow. Wow. I thought it was just the senators, but uh, even the organizers of Timber Unity are getting threats too, huh? No, they were they, they're not, as as I know, nobody else has been threatened with bodily injury except for me because I'm the one that's in the front. I'm the one that's on the podium. I'm the one that's talking to the camera and talking to you. Yeah, yeah. Wow. That's amazing. All right. So uh, let's see. Uh, where can where can people find more information about uh, what you're doing and your C4 and all that stuff? Well, um, I believe there's, there's a website that's going to be made up very shortly here. Right now, thank you. They're more than welcome to come to uh, uh, the Real uh, Timber Unity on Facebook. Um, and everybody's more than welcome to come there, uh, listen to the discussions, listen, you know, 
put their points up. Um, I, I'm really at this point where um, we are looking to have an open forum, but a professional open forum. I'm really hoping that we don't have the uh, squabbling and the censorship that has been going on over at hashtag uh, Timber Unity. Um, and all I ask is just be courteous, be professional, and if someone says something you don't like, you're more than welcome to uh, elaborate on it or uh, just leave it alone and walk away. Right, yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, th- there are memes out there about people uh, seeing something on the internet that they disagree with and just not responding. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. it's, you don't have to be disagreeable about it, you know? <laughs> no, and, and, you know, that's beautiful things. You know, the First Amendment right gives us the right to free, free speech, and I believe in our, um, our Constitution and what those amendments give us. And, uh, you know, I, I, I want an open forum. I mean, I always had an open forum on... Uh, trucks against California Air Resource Board, and I, I think I've only had to remove three or four people because there was just it got to the point where it was better off they had to leave. But I don't want to get into um, the uh, he said she said the slamming. You know, we need to be professional. Um, at the end of the day, we're better than them. We're better than the Democrats. And professionalism will get us everything we ever need. Well, and 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 we're right on the uh, we're on the right side of history, as Barack Obama said, right? <laughs> we yeah. we we have <clears throat> we have the truth on our side, and if we stay united, nobody can beat us. Well, you know, as I told everybody after the third rally, and you know, when I'm getting reports that it's one o'clock in the afternoon and there's still trucks coming off of I five to touch the fairgrounds to make their loop on their uh, on the Capitol, we put a paragraph in history. That's right. That's exactly we, right. We, the people of Oregon and Washington, I mean, we had trucks from California. We had trucks from Oregon, Washington, Idaho. There was a talk. There was a truck came in from Montana for this. Wow. We put a paragraph in history. And it, it, it's incumbent upon us to uh, build on that and uh, uh, make it a, yeah. a, a forceful movement. Yes, and that's what I want. And I want to be able to lead these people where we take back our governments. We take back, you know, where we had 30 years of one-party rule. And uh, 30 years of one-party rule is only one thing. And that's what it, it just turns. When power, people get in power and in that much power, it turns into a so- socialist um, the environment, and that's not what our forefathers wanted for us. That's exactly right. Okay, well, Lauren, thanks so much for joining me on the Behind the Curtain podcast. I really appreciate your time today. Thanks for checking out the Behind the Curtain podcast. I want to thank my buddy Ryan Futch for providing me the theme song, I Am America, produced by Cass Anawati. Join us next week for another episode of Behind the Curtain with Jeff Reynolds. Nothing else but
Carry 